and thank God that I am not what this world says that I am, but I'm what God's Word says that I am. And all that you can be seated. All these songs this morning are sung with a note of confidence. And oftentimes, that confidence is missing. And so what I want to talk to you, actually, not only today, but in the weeks to come, we're going to look at some of the blessings of being a believer. Blessings of being a believer. Things we ought to sing about. Rejoice in the fact that we are believers. And I want us to look first today at the blessing of confidence. Having confidence. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. We're going to look at a very familiar uh, verse of Scripture. As a matter of fact, as you read this verse, you might start singing. Uh, because a lot of the lyrics, uh, or a lot of the words of this verse actually are lyrics to a very familiar hymn. But let's look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and look with me at verse number 12. The Apostle Paul is writing young Timothy at this time and uh, he says to him, For which cause I also suffer these things? Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed uh, unto him against that day. Sound familiar? Yes, those words sound very familiar. It's interesting to note uh, uh, those words uh, are part of the, the hymn, uh, For I Know Whom I Have Believed. And Daniel Webster Whittle is the author of that song. Daniel Webster Whittle was born in Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts. It's about 90 miles west of Boston. And he was born there on November 22nd, 1840. He left his home as a teenager, moved to Chicago. There he was able to get a, a bank job uh, as a cashier with Wells Fargo Bank. When the Civil War broke out, uh, he, he Whittle enlisted in the 72nd Illinois Infantry. He had fallen, at that time, he had fallen deeply in love with a young lady and upon his departure, right before he met, left, he married his sweetheart, Abby Henson. And so while with a trembling heart, Abby said goodbye, she watched her new groom leave with Company B, headed out to the bloodiest conflict uh, in American history, the Civil War. You can imagine her alarm when she received news uh, that came in which it stated that he had been badly wounded at the Battle of Vicksburg and was taken prisoner by the Confederates. His injuries were very serious. As a matter of fact, Whittle lost his right arm as a result of those injuries. But the Lord, in all that took place uh, to Daniel Whittle's life, the Lord was in charge because when he was in that hospital recovering from his wounds, the young POW just plain got bored of all of the uh, of nothingness of his captivity. And so looking around for something to read, he grabbed the thing closest to him and it was a spare New Testament Bible. As Whittle began to read the words, his heart uh, began to recall much of his of his boyhood uh, training in Christian 
uh, is, is Christian heritage in the background, knew something of the church, and uh, although he had far, strayed far from that. And so while he was reading that, his heart began to be uh, moved that he would accept Jesus Christ. But he said to himself, I'm just not ready to do that yet. And he, from there, after reading his, that Bible for a period of time, he read himself to sleep. He fell asleep. Well, suddenly, not long after that, in the middle of the night, he was rudely awakened, shaken from his sleep by another POW uh, that was dying, uh, that needed, uh, wanted, there was another POW that come by, shook him, woke him up, and said that there was another POW that was dying and needed somebody to pray with him. Well, Wiggle said that he wasn't the person to ask. He, he didn't even know. You know, he didn't say this out loud, but he, didn't, he wasn't a Christian. And yet the guy insisted, you're a Christian, aren't you? I saw you reading your Bible. And so Whittle, not really wanting to be embarrassed by saying, I'm not a Christian, stumbled out of bed. He fell to his knees near the dying soldier, and he took him by the hand. And it was there that Whittle wrote later, I dropped to my knees and held the boy's hand in mine. In a few broken words, I confessed my sins and asked Christ to forgive me. I believe right there that He did forgive me. And then I prayed and pleaded the promises of God. When I arose from my knees, the boy to which He was holding His hand had died. But did so with a look of peace that come over His troubled face. And Whittle said, I cannot but believe that God used him not only to bring me to the Savior, but that same God used me to lead him to trust Christ's precious blood and final pardon. Years later, writing somewhat of his own biography of his Christian experience, Whittle wrote these memorable words. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Whittle wrote that very familiar hymn from his own experience. Now the truth be known, Whittle was writing about his uncertainty about many things theologically and in life, why so many things have happened. But he was writing in confidence of what he did know. He was writing about the confidence of having Christ as Savior. You know, we live in days of uncertainty. Not only economically, and not only in the world stage as far as war is concerned, but also in... Christianity, I don't know if you know much about what's going on in evangelicalism or Christianity as a whole, but there have been a number of cases over the last several years where people who were once thought to be staunch believers in Jesus, they are leaving the faith. They are saying, uh, they are what they're calling, they're calling themselves exvangelicals. They are deconstructing, pulling apart their faith. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you see 
these things happen to people that you know of, that you've, you've seen and trusted, maybe even read after, to see them leave the faith, it can bring a certain amount of lack of confidence in, in what we believe. Have you ever experienced that? I have. I've, I've had to drop back and look at why I believe what I believe and what do I believe. And that's why this verse in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse number 12 is so important to us and so important for every believer because the gift of every believer, the blessing, even the birthright of every believer is to have confidence in Christ. That's what Paul had here. He is declaring his confidence in the Lord Jesus. So here in this verse, I want us to look at three keys for unlocking the rich blessing of Christian confidence. God doesn't want you to walk through life timidly. He doesn't want you to walk through life uncertainly. You are to have a confidence in what you believe. Now, I believe Paul gives us keys to that. So let's look at these keys, three of them. Let's look first of all at confidence is completely convinced. Confidence is completely convinced. One of the one of the movies that I watched incessantly since my oldest daughter, who's now 27, 28 years old. Is she 28? Don't say 28. Huh? Almost 28. Ah, uh, all my kids. We have watched the movie, the series of unfortunate events. You know, whatever. It's one of our favorites. And there's one scene in that movie where they go, these orphan kids go and stay with their aunt. Do you remember that scene? The aunt is afraid of everything. She has this irrational fear of everything. She's afraid, uh, since she's afraid that the refrigerator will spontaneously fall upon the children, she tells them to stay away from the refrigerator. She has these glass doorknobs all through her house and she has this irrational fear that they're going to explode at any moment. So she tells the children, don't touch the doorknobs when you go into the room because they could explode. She has this fear that the soup that she's serving is going to be too hot and burn their tongue, so she serves it cold to them. She has fears that are completely unfounded. Fears that she does not have to live with. So many Christians, I believe, live in that same similar fear of hesitancy of uncertainty as they walk this road of life. Uh, they don't have to be in an unconvinced state. You see, the apostle, this is not the case with the apostle Paul. His confidence stemmed from a convinced state. He said, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded. That is a person who is absolutely convinced of Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, in this completely convinced confidence, we see an enlightened encounter. Paul said in verse number 12, For I know. Now, it's easy to run past that with our little hymn. For I know whom. But wait a minute. For I know. Don't run past those words. The word know here means to know in an outward sense, by the outward senses. 
Now, Paul, who was once called Saul, he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. I've talked about that several times. We've talked about Paul meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. I believe it's one of the, the, the bedrock foundational uh, apologetic proofs that there was exactly a person named Jesus who was raised from the dead. Why? Because the Saul of Tarsus met him. The enemy of the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus in the flesh in his glorious state and was convinced of his existence. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, had seen Jesus with his own eyes. Now, thank God that's not a qualification for all of us because we would have really a hard time. Because I don't know about you, but I've never seen physically touched, handled my, with my hands, seen with my vision, uh, entered into uh, my own mind an encounter with the physical presence of Jesus. But the word know here also means to perceive with the mind. So it's not only to know in the flesh, in the outward senses, but it's also to perceive with the mind. This book of God that has, stand, has stood the test of time, that is, I believe, God's word to us, prophecies fulfilled over and over again, cannot be disproven historically, scientifically accurate in the places in which it addresses science uh, matters and, and, and uh, all these things. We know that this book gives us some of the mind and the heart of God. We would be wandering through a myriad of unknown gods, a forest of unknown gods, knowing not who to serve without God revealing Himself through His Word. You see, this reveals the purposes and the character of God which we can know. And so we can know God through His Word, through what He has said. And not, also, not only that, the know here also means to be acquainted with. Have you met Jesus? Have you become acquainted with Him? The Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle John's first uh, epistle was written. You say, Brother Ronnie, you're just talking about things that really we can't be certain dogmatic about. We can't, we can't hold these in unequivocated confidence. Well, yes, we can. That's the whole intent of what God wrote to us. Listen to what John's first epistle says to us. 1 John 5, 13. The apostle John says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. John wrote those letters so that you might know. Just like Paul knew. I know whom I have believed. John says he wants you to know in the same way he has known. Do you know the Lord Jesus? I like what one author said. I believe it was Warren Wiersbe. God bids us to rest on His Word. To rest on His Word. That's what faith is. To rest in confidence on God's Word. Enlightenment by an encounter. Have you met Jesus? I'm not talking about in the flesh. 
I'm talking about number one, on the pages of God's Word. Number two, by the Spirit of God in converting faith. Second of all, also persuaded by proofs. Persuaded by proofs. Not only do I know Jesus and have been acquainted with Him through the knowledge about Him, but I have been persuaded by Him. Here the Apostle Paul, he is dipping into his experience. Look at what he said. For I know whom I have believed, that's one part, and am persuaded. There's a knowledge, and then there's a persuasion. Here he dips into his experience of walking with Jesus. And persuasion comes by proofs or authentication. Listen. March the 20th, 1994 was the date I believe that I put my faith and trust in Jesus, my Savior. Far as I can tell, looking back on the calendar, it was a Sunday night, I was on my way back to school and uh, driving down the freeway, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. But since that salvation, since that experience, God has authenticated His saving grace in my life. I not only know, but I have been persuaded. I've been persuaded. There's been a change of loves. Here's one of the the persuasions in my life. There's been a change in loves. I hated, I didn't care anything about church. When I was in those college years, man, I was glad to go home to college is I didn't have to go to church. There was no expectation for me to go to church with my mom unless I talked to her on Sunday on the phone. You know, and then I had to fib a little bit. Well, you know, we kind of dropped in a little You know, but other than that, I didn't, I didn't want to go for the people of God. I didn't want to go to the house of God. But now there is a love for God's people, God's, uh, the, the people of God. I now have a change in love about Jesus. I've often said, I don't know if I've said it here or not, I often do in my testimony, but there was a moment in the mountains of North Carolina when in a drunken state I said some of the most blasphemous things about the Lord Jesus you would ever have the disgust to hear. They, have, uh, they were uttered for my ma- from my mouth. It was an absolutely contemptuous thing to say about Jesus. I cringe at the thought. Every time that memory comes to mind, I cringe at the thought. Because God has given me a change of love. That man that I hated and so despised as a representation of everything that I did not want to have to do with, God changed my heart to such a degree that I love Him now. I love Him. I want to please Him. I want to know Him. A change in loves. There's been a change in loyalties. I'm loyal to God's Word now. I want to make it the rule of my life. Am I absolutely perfect in following? Absolutely not. But I try to get into this Word and have this Word conform me to what it says. I try to have a loyalty to God's Word. A loyalty to my Heavenly Father. A loyalty to God. Listen, I had one of the worst, worst mouths years ago. I was so blasphemous. I'll never forget. uh, uh, I'd been saved on a Sunday night. And Monday, we started basketball practice at Southern Tech. And, and we went to basketball practice, and, you know, we're shooting around a little bit, getting warmed up. And, and I, I, I let that ball go at the side. I, never, I was on the, 
Uh, you walk in the gym, it was the right side, the far side goal in there. I was shooting, and I just, man, it was a brick. It was a brick. I was, I was embarrassed. I hope nobody heard it. It was a brick. I laid on the, on the, on the, on the backboard there. It's a just terrible shot. And I said to my blankety blank GD, and it almost seemed, I, there was a, almost the sense of a lightning ball. I, I was not struck by lightning, but I, I stopped in my tracks. I could not believe what I had just said. Listen, a week earlier, it wouldn't have made it. I would have never given it the second thought. God gave me a loyalty to my heavenly Father, a desire to love, to know Him, to honor Him. I now have a longing. My longings are different now. I, I now have a longing to try to live a godly life. Again, one, one, you know, a loyalty to God's Word and a loyalty to a, a, a righteous life and, and living the way God would want me to do. These are, these are fallible things. I still have a heart that is broken. I, I, I see a nature inside of me. But God's Word is always there to correct. There is a desire. I want to live a holy life. A longing to see others come to know the Lord Jesus. When I encounter people at work and I, the thought enters the mind, do they know the Lord? You know, do they, does that person know the Lord Jesus? How can I steer the conversation in which I could talk about Him? I want people to know the Lord Jesus. I, 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 I want to be in heaven and be with my Savior someday. I want to be with Him. These are persuading proofs of God's presence in your life. What, what about you? I don't know if they're all exactly the same, but can you, can you go through the span of your life and think about these persuading proofs of an encounter with Jesus? If not, you can't have confidence. You don't have any confidence. But if you can... You have every reason to have confidence. Confidence is completely convinced. Second of all, confidence is a competent keeper. Now I'm sure that you have heard me say this several times, but it bears repeating. A belief system, a faith, a religion is only as good as the object upon that which upon which that system of beliefs rests. Listen, there are, there are no doubt Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that know so much about the writings of Charles Taze Russell for the Jehovah's Witnesses and Joseph Smith for the, 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 the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. They, they probably could quote so much of what they've written, they probably know so much about those systems of religion, the do's and don'ts, the what's, the what ifs. They may know all the insides and outs of that, of that, particular, that particular persuasion. And they may have an authenticity in their outward conformity. They may genuinely, wholeheartedly believe in what Joseph Smith wrote. So much so that they would fight you over it. But again, it doesn't matter how firm, how strong their faith is, if it is resting on a faulty basis. It doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter. Because in the end, beside the person and work of Jesus Christ, it will crumble into oblivion. And they will have no foundation. They will have no assurity. The surety, first of all, of Christ's identity. Notice what he says. But this cause also suffer nevertheless. I am not ashamed, for I know what I have believed. No, no, he didn't, he didn't say what. It wasn't a list of rules and, and do's and don'ts. He said, I know whom I have believed. Whom? It's about a person. The Bible commentator Guy King, I love this quote from Guy King. It cannot, quote, it cannot always be said that a believer knows what, knows when, knows where, knows which, knows whether, or knows why. But he or she always knows whom. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if I don't know what, why, which, whether, when, if I know whom. Paul's belief was not based on a feeling or an experience, no matter how spectacular that experience was. Listen, you go through the annals of different religions, you will find many and varied experiences that people have, have experienced. But none of those are the basis of what Paul counts as validity to the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not based on an identity of Do's and don'ts of, of associations. It is based on the identity of Jesus. Listen, many Christians lose their confidence because they can't remember what they said. I, I've run into so many people, and they have come. They quite, you know, I don't. I, I you know, I went to went to VBS, you know, and and I got the Bible. The guy got the Bible out, and he he told me to pray, but I don't know if I. I don't know if I said the right thing. I don't know if I said, God forgive me of my sins and save my soul. I don't know if I said that, Brother Ronnie. And many people will live their Christian experience with a hesitancy in the fact that they don't know what they said that day. They can't remember what exactly the circumstances were that day. I'll never forget years ago that my pastor used to tell the story of Back in the 70s when he was at Tennessee Temple University. This was a, a hotbed of all the independent fundamental type preachers that had come through. And it was growing by leaps and bounds. And my pastor Ken Trivett was there serving the Lord and getting his education. And during that, during that time he was there, there was someone that come in and preached a chapel service. And preached it in such a way that he caused a vast number of of the students to question their salvation experience. And my pastor was one of them. Ken Trivett said he went weeks. Uh, just really not knowing for sure uh, if, whether he was saved or not. Whether it was all a reality in his life. And I remember him, him telling a story of just broken and crying, going to Dr. Lee Robertson who had had his feel of all these students having problems knowing or not whether or not they'd been saved by God's grace. And he basically boiled it down to this. It doesn't matter what you believe then. It doesn't matter what you said now. 
What or back back then? Doesn't matter what you said back then. Doesn't matter what you believe back then. What are you trusting in now to save you from the judgment of God to come? Tim Trivet, what are you trusting in now? Brother Ken was saying, yeah, I trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. That settles the issue. So whatever you experienced in the past, whatever you prayed in the past, whatever you felt in the past, what are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in to be uh, a not, uh, to be, uh, are you trusting in a membership? Your own goodness, your, your polite nature? Are you trusting in some experience that you had? I'll never forget, I was talking with a guy at work and uh, he was of a, a way outside denomination, somewhat Christian. And they asked him, well, how do you know you're saved? He said, well, when I went down the altar and prayed, my tongue did this thing like flat like that. And I know I got the Holy Ghost and, and whew, gone on a di- just going on a different topic altogether. He was trusting in an experience. Something happened to him but it doesn't line up in what saving faith is. It is belief in Jesus Christ. You may have never had any kind of tearful experience. It may have just been a polite change of heart. Like, like Lydia in Philippians. And God opened her heart. It wasn't demons being cast out like the girl that was there. Remember Paul cast the demons out of the girl and, and she was healed of that. Lydia wasn't so. It wasn't dramatic like the jailer with the walls falling in and all the miracle of the, of the everybody. It wasn't like that. It just God opened the heart. If God opened your heart you can say with all assurity that I am trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Have confidence. Jesus is our surety. It's His identity that assures us. Notice the strength of Christ's ability. Look at verse number 12. For I know whom I believe and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Here, Paul brings in the ability of Jesus. Christ is competent in His ability. The word able here itself means to be one who is preeminently able or powerful. Need we talk about the ability of Jesus this morning? Is that really what we want to call into question? He that turned water into wine, filled the nets with teeming fish, walked upon the raging tempest, calmed the troubled sea. He that cast out devils, healed the sick, cleansed the leper. He who caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the paralyzed to take up their bed and walk on home. Do we really need to question his ability? And if that's not enough, If that's not enough to convince you by the mere touch of his hand or the timbre of his voice, people who were stone cold, toe-tag dead, got up and walked away. After he himself was dead on the cross on the third day, was risen from the grave. His ability, really, is that something you want to question? We can have confidence. He's able. He's able to save. If we depend on him He's able to save. Jesus is able in His sovereign power. He said in Matthew 28, 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. 
Jesus is able in his superlative position. Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus is able in his subduing priority. Philippians 3.21, Jesus who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. If he can subdue all things, if he is in the supreme position of intercession, if he has all power in heaven and in earth, do you think God's able to save you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Confidence. When you walk out that, those doors, lift your head and have confidence. I speak from experience of a faith that is tested and tried. God's power and ability is able to save and to keep well beyond the ability to stumble and to falter. John's gospel makes the keeping power of Jesus abundantly clear. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For you to lose what God has given, for Him to reject what you have entrusted in Him, is to be plucked, from the sovereign hands of God. Confidence is completely convinced. Confidence is a competent keeper. Lastly, confidence is a conditioned commitment. A conditioned commitment. This whole verse has a hinge point in it. Look, read it with me again. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able, notice this, to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's a condition because there's a commitment. Years ago, I remember standing in front of, how many of you have been to Rock City? And you know the Swinging Bridge. You know, I don't know how long it is. It looks like it's a half a mile long when you're on one side of it. I remember as an eight-year-old child staring at that bridge, gently swaying in the breeze as they come across Lookout Mountain. And when I did so, I had no knowledge that it was designed to hold a capacity well beyond the weight of my eight-year-old body. Not knowing that its moorings were secured in a condition four times. That's the engineering safety, uh, safety consideration. Four times the, the highest level. It's got to be secure. It's got to be strong enough for four times the strain to put on it. I had no idea that was its design constraints. While fearful standing there and hesitantly Walking across that bridge, <laughs> holding on to that slowly as possibly can get me across this bridge. 
I did not enjoy a sense of confidence. Confidence. It was completely able to hold me and fill that bridge, fill that bridge with as many uh, plump individuals as you could possibly and pile them on four times high. It would still hold. And yet I walked down so scared with my next step, like Indiana Jones, it'd fall right through the thing and fall to the bottom. No! I didn't have that kind of confidence. The condition of confidence is to step out in commitment, in trust, a reliance on Christ. Notice says, I know whom I have believed, have believed. That, that word believe simply means to trust. Here's our part. Our part is to trust. To believe on Jesus is to entrust your spiritual and eternal well-being on Him who died for you. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus Himself said in John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, hath everlasting life. To believe on Jesus is to recognize our complete inability to save ourselves from God's coming judgment upon sin and to receive the free gift of God's payment for sin. Christ Jesus' death upon the cross for our sin and His three day later resurrection defeating death for all of us that believe. You know, when the great missionary John C. Patton was translating the scriptures for his South Sea Islanders, apparently there was no word for the word believe. He struggled. There was no, no rightful comparison to the native language to the concept of belief. And for the longest time he was baffled and didn't know what to put in the place of the word believe. One day a native came into his study and being tired out, he flung himself down on a chair and rested his feet in another chair and laid back full length between the two saying as he did something about how good it was to lean his whole weight on those chairs. Suddenly, a light went off in John Patton's mind. Because that's what belief is. To lend my whole weight on. The missionary had his word for belief. When it comes to eternity, when it comes to the ever-approaching day of death, are you leaning on, resting on? What are you resting on? Resting on membership at Faith Community Church, your baptismal certificate, something that happened in the past. Your tongue did this while you were praying. I don't know. You saw a great light. What are you trusting in? If you're trusting in those things, you have every right not to have confidence. But if you're trusting in the fact 
regardless of what has happened in the past, this moment and now, I trust that Jesus' death and bloodshed on the cross was my payment for sin. A relinquishing to Christ. He, he relinquished something. You know, look at what he says. To keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This word committed has the theme of surrender. The word is a word picture of a man with a treasure and in order to protect it, he deposits it into a bank or a safe until the day it's required. What is Paul talking about here? You know, in the context of these verses, he's talking about the great difficulty. He said earlier in the verse, for which cause I also suffer these things. Suffering, the, the difficult, the hardship he's endured because of God's call on his life. But here in firm confidence, he knows that his life is safe against the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we'll all be brought. Every believing Christian, if you believed on the Lord Jesus, will, will be brought before Him and, and judged, not because of our sin, but by, because of our service, of who we are as servants. We'll, we'll meet the Lord Jesus there at the judgment seat. But Paul is saying, what I've entrusted Him, my surrender, despite all my suffering, I know I have my belief and I'm persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have entrusted, which I have uh, committed unto Him, uh, uh, deposited unto Him. My life, my eternal destiny, I have deposited that into the hands of Jesus. At which time, at the judgment seat of Christ, the investment of a life entrusted to Jesus will receive the great recompense of reward. What have you, have you entrusted your life to Him? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Surrender it, entrust it, deposit your eternity into the Lord Jesus. Some years ago, Time Magazine reported on a nervous motorist that was pulled over in Lambertville, New Jersey. The man being stopped by police tried to explain that he had been driving on 200 and 24 consecutive learner's permits over the past 25 years. Learner's permits. You want to know why? He flunked his first driver's test and has been unsure of himself ever since. Now we laugh. But there have been so many times where God has proven himself over and over and over again. And we do not have confidence. We constantly refuse to walk in confidence. It's your birthright. It's the blessing of a believer to live this life. And I'm not talking about haphazardly driving crazy so that, oh, you know, if you had a guardian angel, it'd jump off way back there because you're just driving. Well, I know I've committed against the gates that day, man. I've got confidence. That mean you live crazily and dangerously. But it does mean that if death were to meet you today, I have every confidence to know that I'll be absent from the body, present with the Lord. That if Jesus were to come back today, I'd be gone into the heavens with Him. 
I have every confidence that He's coming back for me. You don't have to live in uncertainty. You can live in confidence. Confidence in what Jesus has done. Confidence in the Savior. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you have that kind of confidence in the Lord Jesus? You can if you've entrusted yourself to Him. I know whom I have believed, trusted, leaned upon, rested. I know whom I have believed. And I've been persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him. My life. Have you committed your life to Jesus? If you haven't, do so. If you have, and you're suffering from constant timidity and, and a discomfort and uh, fear in this life, don't. You have every right to be confident. Dear Heavenly Father, help souls this morning. Thank you for how you've helped mine. God, I know whom I have believed. There's been so many things persuading along the path have caused me to have even greater confidence than the, than the day I trusted you. That's what it is to be a believer. Every day our confidence grows in you because we learn more about you. We learn you. We know you more. Our faith has grown day after day. Help us in this room to have that kind of faith that grows and is more and more confident every day. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.